This is a free download from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Um, those of you that have heard me speak before, and I suppose most people have heard me speak, um, they'll know that I kind of spend quite a bit of time getting my word together. Um, I don't kind of rush into it. I kind of usually have an idea of what I'm going to speak about probably a week or so before and usually pray about it, study around it a little bit and it sort of comes together and probably, I don't know, two, three days before it's pretty much down on paper and then I'll polish it a bit. I was kind of a bit worried and concerned and almost a bit sad that this wasn't happening this time. I couldn't find a word, I couldn't find what was happening and couldn't really find inspiration kind of thing. And I thought, hmm, this is a bit worrying. You start to get a little bit panicky as you get closer and closer to the the day and you think, hmm, dear, this isn't very good. Maybe maybe it's not going to be that great. I thought, probably daftly, but I thought God was ignoring me. I started to get a bit desperate um, because I like to have it all sorted out, like I say. So I started to get really quite a bit panicky. And this week, earlier this week, I still had nothing. Um, And I thought, oh dear, this really is getting... But there was four words that God had planted in my head that were coming round and round and round all the time. And no matter what I thought about what I would speak on or whatever, these four words kept coming back but I couldn't make anything of those four words at that point in time. I started uh, looking at other things. I even started writing something else down. And I kind of got about an A4 page of something else written down and it just went absolutely nowhere. And I thought, no, that's that's basically rubbish. So I kind of got back to my four words. And on Friday... um, in sort of almost desperation, I separated myself away into my office to kind of have one last shot at it, if you like. Um, and these four words were the only thing I could find. Literally, the only thing I could find. And then God immediately, when I said, well, all right, in God, that must be what you want to say. Those must be the words. So, the four words are when there's only Jesus. And when you say it like that, it's kind of, where's that going? What's that mean? You know, so on the basis that God wanted to say something about this, or either that or I've lost my, my marbles, my connection, whatever you want to call it. I've come this morning, I'm in worse prepared form than ever, but I'm just going to give it to God and we're going to see what happens. I've got some notes and I'm hoping it's what God wants to say. But one thing I do know is if it isn't what God wants to say, he'll correct me as we go along. So watch out. So the four words, just to say them one more time, when there's only Jesus. Quite simple, isn't it? When there's only Jesus. What, what was on my mind and what had, what had actually put those words in my mind in the first place and the, the thing I was thinking about was... Um, we watched a documentary um, during the week 
It was this guy that's walking the Himalayas. Uh, probably, I'm sure some of you have seen it. But what got me is he went into this village in the middle of nowhere, in the Himalayas, somewhere. Uh, probably if I'd been paying attention, I'd have been able to tell you the village name, but I wasn't, so <laughs> I can't. But he went into this village, and this village clearly had nothing. You know, it was a village on a, on a hillside. Agriculture was probably a bit difficult in the, in the place. Uh, lots of kids running around. Uh, lots of uh, um, women and men doing their thing. And he went or got invited into the tent of this particular family. And the first thing they did was brought out a meal. They brought out a meal and they put it in front of him and they put it in front of the camera crew. And it, what, that is what had sort of got to me because these people have got nothing and yet they were prepared to give. You know, these people are not people that have got larders full of food. You know, their, their growing period for the year is only a certain narrow period, so they have to grow and store stuff. They have to rely on what, what uh, grows that particular season. And even getting stuff in and out there, you've only got to watch what he's had to do to trek through the Himalayas to realise getting food in and out to these remote villages is quite a task. And yet these people were prepared to hand over what, you know, on the face of it appeared quite a nice meal. It's not like a three-course meal at one of the restaurants, but it's, you know, to them it was like their best kind of thing coming, coming out. And the other side of the picture that sort of came to me at the same time was, in a, in a very similar vein, the people who have to set out from home um, when they've got, say, an ill um, relative or a child to head for one of these um, aid stations or somewhere, somewhere really, really remote. So they've got absolutely nothing and have to set out in faith that there'll be something at the other end. So you can probably get a slight feel for where I'm going with this. You see, they had to trust God, they have to trust God, and I'm going to say about the Himalayan people that, that we saw on the telly, I don't know who their God is. You know, I don't know that about them. But what I do know is that in their culture, in what they're doing, they know they've got to trust in something. Do you get what I mean? It's built into them to understand that they need to trust in something more than just themselves. So they need something, if you like, to, to kind of keep holding them together when times are hard. And it's funny that already this morning, and Andy and Nigel, we hadn't talked at all about what I was going to talk on, but already they've kind of made references to, to this sort of area. They know that they can't do everything alone. They know they have to rely on other things. And they are prepared to give away their last food to somebody else, even in those circumstances. Or they're prepared to set out on that long walk, not knowing what's at the other end, but trusting that there will be the answer to their problem. I think we in the Western world, we struggle to understand that level of trust, don't we? Because we don't have that. So much of what we've got is available to us 
you know, you run out of something in the cupboard, you, you literally go down the shop, it's a mile away, and you restock your cupboard, and you're off again. The degree of trust that these people need to have, unless you've seen that level of physical poverty in action, it's difficult to comprehend. And I'm not trying to concentrate on the, on the poverty aspect this morning because that's a whole different subject and I could spend the morning on, on that too. But what I think we do need to concentrate on and I think it's the most important thing is the acceptance of our vulnerability as human beings. Acceptance that not everything is in our power even if right now we think we've got it all sussed. We think we've got everything in place. We've got everything perfect. It's not. You know, Nigel talked about his situation and how God blessed him and brought, brought you out of that situation, Nigel. And, you know, a lot of things in our lives, we're vulnerable, aren't we? We're vulnerable to things that can happen. Psalm uh, 9, uh, verse 10 says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. So, what that's saying is, put your real trust in the Lord. We, of, we often sort of paraphrase it, if you like, cut it short, but put your trust in the Lord. That's exactly what a lot of people around the world more than that can sit in the Western world in a comfortable state, have to do for their survival. Have to do, trust. Whilst we in the Western world, our culture has developed a routine that fits God into our template, rather than us fitting into God's. Very often we fit God into what we want to be doing. We tell God what we want to do. Oh God, can you just sort that out for me please, because I want to go there whereas God might not want you to go there at all. Maybe the question sometimes needs to be, God, where do you want me to go? Do you get the, the difference there? The cultures these days are becoming uh, closer. They've been poles apart in the past, but they're coming closer and closer. Technology is, is even invading those places. Um, you see some, some quite good documentaries now where the internet has reached these outlying villages, they're still living in tin shacks but they got a smartphone it's just crazy kind of world um, but it is it's, it's, it's invading even those cultures and it's changing the way people are thinking because they have access to these things and I worry that our western culture goes with it I worry that we kind of dilute that trust in the Lord or trust in something, if you like. I'm not going to prejudge that they know our Lord, but a lot of people do and trust in the Lord in those situations. And it's so amazing that they kind of do that in, in such a humble way. And, you know, the, be prepared to walk the miles. But I worry that the Western world culture is diluting that and taking that, that away. Delve with me for a moment and we're going to kind of pick up this point again in, in a moment. We're just going to digress away but we'll, we'll come back to the point, I promise you. 
uh, delve with me for a moment into the Bible, and I've been uh, re-reading um, and studying on Genesis this month. Um, what's amazing about the Bible is, and I, I've read it from sort of cover to cover a couple of times at least now, two or three times more, maybe more, um, and then other times in bits, you know. But every single time you go back to the Bible, you find something new. Another, another verse jumps out at you kind of thing and, and just says something different. And the same in, in house group. You know, we, we pick up on certain verses and they say something different. And it's amazing how God kind of, you know, depending on your situation and your timing, he's got something to say to you personally through the Bible. So it's not just a book to read. It really means something. It's a living word. It's a living word for, for your moment. So let's start with a verse that we can all find very, very easily, Genesis 1.1. That's a nice, easy one to find. We're not going to be doing an awful lot of uh, verses this morning. I didn't feel uh, led to, to, to spend a lot of time on verses, but Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. But what I think we can easily overlook in that alone is the fact that God already existed. God was already there. It was God that was starting. God was already there. That, for me, when you stop and think about just that, puts God in a very, very special place. And, and when we call him Father it kind of puts it into perspective that he really was there at the very, very start of it all. There's none of these big bang theories and all that rubbish for me. It's all about God. It's all about the Father and his love and his creativity and his uh, plans for us. And um, Genesis is a, is a great read. And I hope for you too, that simple statement makes God a bit special. Because without God, all the rest wouldn't have happened. But God had a plan. And that plan is written in Genesis. Then God sets about making the earth. The seas, the land, the birds, the animals, the insects, the trees. And then he created, I've got written here, my pop. Adam. I called him my pop because in the realities... If in the realities, if we believe what we believe, and we do, he was my pop. I don't know how, quite how many great-great-greats you'd have to put in front of it. That would be an interesting exercise, wouldn't it? But we all descend from Adam and Eve, so he's my pop. Just had to put that in. don't know why, just felt I should. Then he made Eve. They got together. Unfortunately, soon after, that's when things started to go wrong. And I want to just dissect that. That's nothing to do with Eve coming. That's just... Well, it's something to do with Eve coming, but... I don't want you ladies saying, he's blaming the ladies. I'm not. <laughs> See, they then made the mistake, didn't they? They made the mistake of eating from the apple that God told them not to do or from the tree that God told them not to do. And things started to go wrong. 
So ask yourself a question, why did they eat from the tree? Why did they eat the fruit from the tree? Why would they have done that? God had said to them, don't do that. Everything in the garden at this stage is perfect. They've got no worries, they've got no concerns, they've got each other, everything's perfect. And then God says to them, it's all good, but don't go and eat from that tree. And they do. Well, number one, they were deceived. They were deceived by the serpent. But number two, and part of that being deceived, is they started to think like they could do without God. They started to think like they either wanted to have God-like powers, in other words, they get to make all their own decisions, choices, etc. at that point in time, um, or they wanted to kind of almost uh, have the last say. And that's what really went wrong. You know what I mean? God's plan or our plan? God's plan or our plan? Which way do we want it? I digress very slightly just for a moment, but I, in the process of kind of researching this, I found this, this little cartoon, um, just a funny little cartoon, but it was Adam and Eve sat, sat on a rock, or a couple of rocks facing each other, um, debating what had happened after the uh, eating of the apple. And uh, needless to say, they've got the fig leaves on now to cover themselves because they've become aware of themselves. And uh, Eve turns to Adam and says, yeah, well, it probably was a mistake. But it's not like the whole world needs to know. (laughs) Tickled me anyway. So we then fast forward and we go right through to the time when when Jesus came. Uh, God sent Jesus, I should say. Why did he send him? Well, to paraphrase all of that time, he sent him because from when we started to fall in the garden, unfortunately things got worse, didn't they? Things got worse. Um, the, the humans were kind of, well, we weren't very good really. I've paraphrased it by saying the world had become so bad and immoral and so unrepentant that God couldn't stomach it any longer. He had to do something. He had to make sure that his wonderful creation could be saved. Otherwise, he was going to watch it damning itself. And he needed to do something. It was obvious that man had got far too full of himself and wasn't taking notice of God any longer. He was following his own plan. And he had to put something in our way that would get our attention. I'm sure as a parent, you could probably sort of understand this if I, if I use that analogy by saying that if one of your children isn't doing something that you want them to do you try everything and I mean everything first of all to convince them to change their mind and do what you want for their best and then you get to a point where that still hasn't made it happen so then you've got to try and do something physical yeah, I don't mean physically lift them up and remove them from the situation, although that can be the, the case sometimes. You look at stories of people who've gone into, for example, places where 
um, a, a child of theirs has become a drug addict and they've had to literally go and lift them out of that circumstance and take them away from it. So there are examples of that. But what, what I'm getting at really is that you try everything to redirect your child back onto the right path, don't you? Uh, first of all, in, in kind of encouraging them to change their mind and then secondly, maybe physically having to actually if you like, put a barrier in their way to re- redirect them back onto the path. It's difficult. So Jesus came on the earth, was born, and he came on this earth to experience life as a human, to show us how different it could be to show us how we need not be like that how we could live like Jesus yet in today's society we get kind of trapped don't we we've we've moved again we've moved again into this society of all these possessions all of these things that we own, all of these things that we have around us, the internet, the smartphones, the Facebooks, the houses, the holidays, the busy lives, rushing around, fitting God into that template rather than us actually listening to what he's got to say, fitting God into that spare half hour that we've got because we've finished doing Facebook or whatever it might happen to be rather than the other way round. Maybe we're speaking rather than listening. Maybe, maybe we're speaking rather than listening. And putting him first, that's what we need to be thinking about. Possibly, and I use the word possibly cautiously, possibly it's God's plan for you to have all those things anyway. But the difference is with God involved. The difference is with God actually in control. God might plan, God's plan might be that you would be blessed with all those things. But how much better would it be if God was in control and taking your relationship where it could really go? We'd see so many more benefits if that was the way round it was. So it's no real surprise, really, to me, um, studying this, it's no real surprise to me that in the world today where we live, if we accept what I've just said, we accept that very often we fit God in and a lot of people out in this world don't fit God in. You know, we are still in the minority by far. So let's, let's talk about the world generally for a moment. Generally, the world doesn't fit God in. Generally, the world does what it wants to do. Right? And it's living on that borrowed time of possessions. So it's no real surprise that we have high levels of violence, high levels of terrorism. We have... Uh, higher than ever levels of depression in the Western world, affecting people massively, sexual depravity, drug use, and a whole host of other things that I could probably stand there and list till 12 o'clock and you'd all be rather cheesed off for me. You would have thought we would have learnt by now. But we're still not trusting God. I don't know about you, but when I try and communicate with somebody and they obviously aren't getting it I get frustrated 
when I talk to somebody about something and they're either not interested or they don't want to listen or maybe they think I'm talking rubbish, in fairness, they might be right. Um, I get very frustrated. God must be looking down. God must be looking down and saying, what have I got to do? What have I got to do? You know? He's set it out. He's given us all the guidance. He's given us his son to come down here and die for us again, if you like. What has he got to do to get our attention? And yet, we all, me included, fall into the trap of fitting God in. It's taken me a bit of time um, but I'm coming right now to what I think God was trying to say through those four words when there's only Jesus. You see, John 14:6, and you can turn to that if you wish, but John 14:6, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, said these words. And I think they're some of the most important words you'll ever hear. And it was simply, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They've got to be some of the most important words. Because we can go round the houses, we can wrap it up whichever way we like, but the fact is, those words there tell you the only way is through Jesus. The only way is through Jesus. And it kind of at that point was when suddenly the light came on and I understood what God was trying to say. He was trying to say, when there's only Jesus. Clear all the other stuff out the way and get yourself focused on Jesus. Clear all the other stuff that gets in the way, that, that, that takes your distraction, get back to Jesus. Just dissecting that one passage just a little. Jesus is the way. That's the path for our life that leads to salvation. That's what the way is. It's the path for our life that leads to salvation. Jesus is the truth. That means that no matter what anybody says to you in this world, no matter what anybody puts in front of you, no matter what anybody would have you believe, you can counter it or you can weigh it up against what Jesus has to say to you and for you. That's, if you like, where we return to to understand if you were looking up something in, a, in an encyclopedia or something like that, go back to Jesus. Go back to what Jesus says about that situation. That is where the truth is. Don't trust in the book that somebody wrote. Don't, don't trust in what the guy down the road's told you because he isn't your salvation. Jesus Christ is your salvation and he is the truth. And the light... That means he's the light that lights up your path, lights up the darkest places in the moments of your life. The light to follow out of all darkness. 
very, very simple verse, but so, so important. And so often we can read the Bible and we can read over verses and we're kind of so keen to get on to the next one that we don't actually dwell on what that verse is saying to us. And I just want you today to just kind of take in what God's saying through this. The world around us is increasingly full of serpents, increasingly full of deception, trying to take you away from the truth that is Jesus Christ. There are more and more and more. The world is offering quick fixes. The the life is greener on the other side of the fence path, if you will. The world is offering all of that. And the stories of do it once, it won't hurt. It will hurt. It will hurt God because he's looking down on his child, his perfect child, and seeing these situations happening. And he doesn't want that. He didn't plan that for you. These things try and take you off the path that God has prepared. And I want to tell you now that God prepared that path when you were being created, when he planned for you to be created. He created that path in front of you, known as your life. And that path still exists now. That path hasn't changed. What's changed is whether we've actually stepped off that path or not. And we need to get back on that path because that path is the path that God created that was the best path for you and what he had planned. And when we step off that path, that's when we kind of eat our bite of the apple. That's when we kind of get it mixed up and start to get things the wrong way. I kind of was thinking about this and thinking that, you know, after Adam and Eve had um, taken of of the apple, uh, God came to them and and the story is that they went and hid because, um, A, they'd become aware of themselves so they were embarrassed, but B, they knew they'd done wrong. And it struck me that, you know, so often we need to just get to that moment as well where we, you know, just say to God, look, we got it wrong. Look, God, we got it wrong, but we're coming back to you. We don't want to hide from you. We, we want to come back to you. We want to bring it back to you. We want to repent and we want to move on. And the amazing thing is, those four words that I'm bringing to you this morning, when there's only Jesus, is the antidote. Is the antidote, because when there's only Jesus, when you put Jesus as a priority... When you put Jesus as a priority, he can unravel all of that mess that we get ourselves into. When we get ourselves out of the world, fix our eyes on Jesus, give him our undivided attention, he can minister to us properly. That is the proper place he can minister to you. Not when you're disturbed by Facebook, not when you're trying to fit it in between two programs or whatever it might be, but when you literally commit yourself to some time with Jesus Christ, that's when he can minister to you. He can be working on repairing and renewing you. 
praise God he put Jesus in place to come to the earth, to be amongst us, to experience the worries and the concerns that we go through, to see us going through those. And the stories of the disciples were amazing how no matter what the disciples worried about or got involved in, Jesus was there as a comforter. Why, why have we lost that? Why do we sometimes think that, that like, it's different now? It isn't. The story of the Bible is as relevant today as it was then. Jesus is the comforter. Jesus is the comforter. Seek Jesus, seek forgiveness, and you're on the road to recovery. He carried our sin and shame to the cross so that we might see salvation. What's there not to get? It's as simple as that. When there's only Jesus, we can really live. We can really enjoy life because all those worries that invade our peace brought about by following the world can be taken away. He can take them from our shoulders. When we truly trust Jesus, we will be at his side once more. God loves us so much and doesn't want the serpent's bite to poison you for one more day. He wants you to have the antidote. I was going back then to the picture of of why uh, those people with nothing offered something to strangers. And I offer my own interpretation of, of that picture. You see, these people have nothing and yet they're prepared to give. Now we might have all the possessions in the world, we might be the richest person in the world with money in the bank, houses, cars, planes, whatever you might like to be. But in the end, we've got nothing. In the real end fact, we can't take any of that with us. And we've got nothing. In a flash, the whole situation can change and we find ourselves totally reliant on God. Nigel's little story was kind of something in, in, in that vein. And he said, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That comes from Luke 12, verse 15. No physical gift, no physical gift can buy you anything in heaven. So everything you have, it's no use in heaven. See, the currency of heaven is Jesus Christ. Accepting Jesus Christ into your life buys you the entry. But I tell you now, living with Jesus Christ buys you the life. Very different message. Living with Jesus Christ buys you the life. If you're not living with Jesus Christ, you're not living the life that God planned out for you. You're not living all of the amazing things God had planned for you and the amazing blessings that he wants to give you. Now, I'm not trying to say that that a Christian life is perfect and it's not without challenges. We all know that the realities are that challenges come along. But God promises, and I don't know, and I know you don't know, of any situation where God has completely failed anybody 
because it hasn't happened. Right? God is in everybody's life plan. He has a plan for everybody's life. When there's only Jesus, when we, we actually focus on Jesus, when we actually say those words, when there's only Jesus in my life, there is only Jesus. I give everything to Jesus and I allow Jesus to have the control and everything grows and blossoms from that situation. That's when the miracles can start flowing. That's when the, the um, alignment of your life, if you like, gets back to the path that God wants it to be on. That's when God can really start working in you. God is rejoicing in heaven when he sees people returning back onto the path. We talk about people who stray away from God for years and years on end and then something in their life changes and they come back to to God and God rejoices. Instead of saying, what have I got to do? He's saying, amazing, I've got one back. One of my children has come back. One has just walked through the door. I've got one back. What an amazing feeling that must be for him. I think sometimes we can underthink how much he loves us. We can spend so much time concentrating on our failures and our faults and getting ready to meet him. You know, I need to prepare myself. No, you don't need to prepare yourself. God knows everything about you anyway. You're not hiding anything from God because God knows you inside out. He knows exactly what your thoughts are. Looking in a mirror and seeing your imperfect reflection. But God doesn't see it like that. What God sees is you as his perfect creation. He doesn't see that those uh, imperfections that we've carried around. All that stuff you carry can be washed away. All those wounds can be healed. Right? We suffer whilst in the world, sorry, the wounds we suffer whilst in the world will be made new as we enter heaven. So God sees the finished product. He doesn't see the work in progress. God dreams towards the finished product because that's what he wants for you. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't say, oh, I'm turning my back on them. He actually loves you and wants you. And, and you know, what he sees in that reflection of you is the beauty of what he created at the start. And all that rubbish that we collect along the way means nothing to him. If we only allow our life to be under the control of Jesus, we can rise again. We can be, be great again, soar like eagles and rise above anything that comes against us. Because when we truly are on the path that God gave us, that's what he planned right from the start. He planned for us to soar like eagles. The Bible is full of examples and words of how great the life with God can be. But no matter how we put it, a lot of the time we stray off that path. We put God into a a bracket rather than actually at the top. We need not dwell amongst the serpents. We can make a decision not to. We can choose every day to put the armour of God on and go out into this world with a view of making a difference. Rather than the world controlling what we're doing, we can decide to go out and make a difference. A message of hope, a message of positivity and forgiveness and a message that if you're prepared to give your last, like those people, great things can happen. Your last being of you, 
You see the analogy now. Not the meal, but of you. Give your last to God and he can do great things with it. There is only Jesus. There is no other way. So we can talk for hours about the subject, but it's going to come back to that clear message. There is only Jesus. There is no other way. And I think what God was trying to say is, you don't need to deliver all these complicated messages. You don't need to be uh, the most amazing theologian, uh, being able to explain every verse, because I've got something plain and simple to say to you today, and that is, there is only Jesus. That was the message that God wanted to bring. I'm heading towards the close, but I'd like to ask you now, please, just, just to kind of bow your heads, close your eyes, Separate yourself from the things that might be trying to take your attention for the next five minutes. Just, just kind of put yourself in a place. Just think about Jesus. Don't worry about the Sunday lunch. Don't worry about what you're going to do this afternoon. Just put Jesus in your mind. The vision I, I had when I was preparing this was to just put Jesus on a throne in front of you. And just for a few minutes now, just have a one-to-one conversation with Jesus. Jesus loves you so much. He's sat on that throne. He just wants to talk to you. Wants to talk to you one-to-one. He's got something to say to you right now. And maybe you haven't been listening. Maybe you haven't been listening. Maybe you haven't been fixing your eyes on him, clearing the clutter letting all that rubbish fall away. But right now, Jesus has something to say to you. doesn't need to be audible. You don't have to speak out. You and Jesus, right now, you and Jesus can have that conversation. And you know, people in this church right now will be receiving different things from him. Right now, he will have something different to say to each person. For some, it will be what he's going to do. What he's going to do, maybe bring a healing. For some, he'll be telling you he wants you back. Maybe you've been straying. Maybe you've not been really focusing on him. But he wants to tell you that he loves you. Jesus is here. He's here right now. If you don't know him, Jesus is here. Just ask him. Just ask him. If you don't know him, just right now, if you're not placing him on that throne right now, don't be pulled off path. Don't be deceived by the serpent. Serpents will always exist, trials will come, but Jesus is the only way and he will stand with you and support you through everything this world can throw at you and he has the victory. He'll provide salvation. 
He'll provide the promise of eternal life if you only trust him. If that's you and you're not trusting Jesus and you want to, just raise your hand. All the, all the heads are bowed, eyes are down. Just raise your hand and we'd love to pray with you after. But you know, right now, just, just take some time. Just, just look at Jesus sat on the throne in front of you. He loves you so much. God's got a plan for you. It's an amazing plan. None of us were thrown on this earth by chance. None of us came to this earth just to go through our lives and out the other end with no significant plan. God has a plan for you. It's your plan. He sees you as beautiful. He loves you. And he wants to celebrate you right in these moments. Just as I close, I'm just going to say a short prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come back. Um, if you need prayer, if you need prayer for healing or anything, um, please do come to the front. But, you know, me and Andy didn't speak on this at all before. But when Andy stood up and said, he said something there that is so on my heart. You have the power. You can have Christ at work in you. You don't need the leadership to pray for you. You can pray for somebody next to you. You can trust in God and he can do great things. Just pray. Lord, you've spoken. You've made it clear there is only Jesus. We know in our hearts and we accept Jesus as our true saviour, our light and our guide. Please, God, forgive us when we stray. Bring us back onto the path of righteousness. Lord, give us the faith to live out our lives trusting in Jesus. And today, Lord, plant in us afresh the strength and the will to resist those things that come against us. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory, all the honour. You are good. God, you are good. There is only ever Jesus. Thank you for listening to the free download from the Lancy Eland Church. For more downloads, information or contact us, please visit our website at the Lancy Eland at the Codexy